Well, we want to just mention a couple of needs. Uh, Seth had tubes put in his ears, Seth, Aaliyah, uh, yesterday. So he's home with mom, and mom's watching him. Some of you might remember Jim and Tara Davis that were here years ago with uh, their daughter, Bo Hartley Warren. They just had their first child, but Ezra has pneumonia and is in uh, intensive care, neonatal intensive care. Beautiful looking child, just uh, having some struggles breathing, found that he had pneumonia. So let's remember Ezra Warren. I think arrived earlier today or maybe late last night. Uh, I've been watching this development on Facebook. I know them well and uh, saw them recently at a private viewing of a, of a movie they've made. And, and uh, she looked like she was ready to have that baby. Beautiful family, love God. Um, so just keep little Ezra in your prayers. And um, Ron just mentioned to me that Teresa that we recently lost, she used to be in this church years ago, her stepfather suddenly passed away yesterday. So there's pain upon pain for uh, her husband and boy, losing, <clears throat> losing his wife and then losing his father within days of each other. I have a friend in Jacksonville that lost his wife suddenly and, and just recently lost his mother. So uh, we, we, we don't know how it is to kind of walk that journey. Everybody has their own journey, but that's a lot of pain. And um, sometimes I think probably we think, well, Lord, I just can't handle anymore. And I believe that's where Paul's reality at the end of second, his second letter to the Corinthians where he didn't get his answer to prayer and up what he, he wanted this thorn in his flesh to be removed. But he did come to the realization that when he was at this point of breaking, at this point of weakness, that he found out how strong God is. Now, we don't want to find how strong he is like that. We'd rather just kind of have it in our head that he's strong. But it's in those crucibles of life. It's where we hurt and where we hurt deeply. I think we find a depth of his grace that we don't know any other way. And thank the Lord there is a benefit for the pain we go through. That it's not all for naught, right? <clears throat> so keep them in your prayers. Got a question uh, for you tonight. I might modify the question as we go on here at the beginning. What do you see in the next five years for you? Five years. All you have to do is add five years to your age, and that is very disconcerting to some of us. I already know what mine add up to be. <clears throat> and I think about, I don't know if my oldest sister would hear this on SoundCloud, but in five years I'll have a, a sister that's in her 80s. That's disconcerting to me. 
probably hope she doesn't listen to this. It would be disconcerting to her. Uh, five years to your children's age or your grandchildren's age. And what happens over the next five years? What do you see? <clears throat> Let me ask you this. I mentioned this to a man who stopped by the church just for some advice and <clears throat> going through a very difficult time. And I said, what do you want to say in five years? When you look down the road and you, and you think what's forming <clears throat> in your family, you're forming, and what do you want to say in five years about this that you're going through right now? And what is it that you don't want to say? If things don't turn out like you want it to, you can form, this is not what I want to have to say. And I basically was encouraging him not to come down that path in five years if Jesus tarries and have regrets for how he handled what's going on right now. Because the decisions we face today will be part of our memories that we can't rewrite. We will reflect, but we can't rewrite them. And uh, <clears throat> before you give up on this idea, it says five years, I can plan next week. So before you give up on that idea, let's, let's take it down from five to maybe four, or maybe three. And I'll tell you why I chose three in just a moment. But think about it. We're going back to, what, 2011? Five years? Next Wednesday, and it was on a Wednesday that the tornadoes came through. So I think maybe Diane has put it in the bulletin. Uh, Brenda and I will be at district council next Wednesday night for ordination service. So Paul Burdine is going to be preaching for me, and I really appreciate Josh filling in for me last week. But the city is wanting everybody to kind of stop at 5.23 p.m. or at some point there, and just give remembrance for those who passed away on that anniversary. But that's five years ago. Now, this is my take. That was a fast five years. I mean, we set up a distribution center, a lot with Joey's help over in front of the Peak Wiggly in Alberta, and we got to minister to a lot of people. <clears throat> a lot of ministry went on five years ago. But we got 2012, we got 2013, and let me just, right there in between three and four years, let me throw this at you. Jesus elected to choose 12 men to invest his teaching, his life, his ministry, modeling for a span of less than four years. He just knew he had a limited time with them. Do you think his planning for those four years was strategic? Do you think that he planned to do all that he could do in those four years? But the reality is that he never looked like he was in a hurry like we would. If we knew we had like three years left, we would squeeze everything possible 
But he doesn't seem like he's in a rush in life. But I do believe that he, this wasn't haphazard. He, he didn't just choose them on a whim. He, in fact, one of the gospels says he prayed all night. He, he had a lot of men that was gravitating to him, and, and he chose those 12. And I don't think it was haphazard. I think he was strategically planning that. Now, if he does strategic planning, how should we approach our next three years? Or four years? Or five years? If you're going to go three, why not go five? Why not be really proactive and say, in five years, this is what I want to be able to say. This is what I want to be able to look at. And so to, to kind of use that as a backdrop, let me take you to the book of Acts this evening. And let's take an overview of the mission trips that Paul took in the book of Acts to get an idea of strategic planning associated with living out your purpose, the purpose that God has for you in this world. Now, I'm, it starts in 13, and I'm not going <clears> to <throat> read from some of these. I'm just going to make references. But you know Acts 13 is when they had a prayer meeting in Antioch, and uh, the Holy Spirit speaks out of five men that are in this prayer and fasting, a covenant of prayer and fasting, to choose Paul and Barnabas to go on this first major excursion into the Roman world, the Greek world that had not been exposed to the gospel. And so chapter 13, Barnabas and Paul and their team sail for Cyprus. And you'll find this in chapter 13. They get there, they do some ministry, and then they head off and sail to Perga. But not with them is John Mark, who decides not to go on, and Perga is in modern-day Turkey. So they go out to this beautiful island of Cyprus. It's still that way. It's just a gorgeous island paradise. And it's not surprising to know that they went there first because Barnabas, that's his former residence. Barnabas is the kind of a wealthy landowner earlier in Acts, that sells property that he had in Cyprus, Isling property. Not bad. <laughs> Not bad for him to take the money for selling that Isling, island property and giving it to the apostles so that they could help feed the widows because when the church was birthed, and if you was a Jewish widow, you got kicked out of the social services of the synagogue. So they had to take care of all of these ladies. And so they raise money by doing it that way. But John Mark heads home. And if you track 13 and even into 14, they go to Pisidian Antioch. And they have a, this is a long record there as to what they did. They had some really good ministry, but they also were kicked out of the city after significant success. And chapter 14 picks up, at the start of chapter 14, Iconium. And again, the reception was, you know, diverse. There was some people that listened. There was some responses. But they also left there under a threat of death, I, th uh, death, and I think in the middle of the night. 
They go to Lystra, similar, there's a similar response, some good, some bad, and it ended with Paul surviving a stoning. So I guess you could say there was some bad there. So they thought he was dead. He, he keeps going. And um, they go to Derby, and in Derby they have great success. It uh, seems like it even says that there's a lot of people that comes to the Lord. And remember, this is probably the first time any of these people had ever heard this story. Now, the story was not completely foreign to the Jewish attendees, the, the Jewish people in the synagogue, because that's where he went. Every time he went in, he told them, he says, listen, the fulfillment of our promises in the Old Testament been fulfilled in Jesus. So there was a connecting point. But the Gentiles thought this was an interesting story, and some of them would come over to the synagogues and listen, and some of them would get saved. Listen to this Jewish fulfillment of prophecy in the person of Jesus. And so you see, as chapter 14 winds down, they turn around and go back. They make a swing back through all the towns they had been in. And you think about it, they went back through the same cities that expelled them or that tried to kill them. Or they had these responses, these hostile responses, strengthening the believers. This is Acts 14, 30, uh, 14 21. Strengthening the believers, and then they headed home. Now, I just admire people's faith and courage that they turned right back around and went right through the towns that they left under threat of death. But they went back for one reason, and that is the believers who responded, they felt an obligation to them to go back and, you know, solidify their faith and to help them have leadership and to choose some leadership. You know, here's the first converts becoming the first leaders of the congregation. So in Acts 15, there's uh, this, I call it an interruption. Because when Paul and Barnabas come back to Antioch, their home base, there's people that's come back from, come up from Jerusalem to come in and kind of do investigative reporting. And they think that the Antioch church is not Jewish enough. That there's not enough emphasis on circumcision, on certain dietary principles. And so they have to take time to have this council in Jerusalem to solve this problem. <clears throat> and I believe that this is just my own observation. I think most of what has happened to them that's negative to this point has happened to them because they've been successful. If everything bombed, if they would go in and nobody would accept the Lord, it was, in fact, when you go through and you see the cities that they preached in, and it was only after they saw people responding to them that created the opposition. They were okay with that, them, out there preaching something crazy, but when they had actually people receiving and accepted, they went after them. And so you read this narrative through chapter 15 of the council in Jerusalem. And when it gets near the end of chapter 15, when the, the, the council ruled in favor of Paul and Barnabas and the Antioch leadership, okay, that's, they settled that issue. So after that was dispensed with, 
I am going to read this, Acts 15, 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, this was after the council had resolved the problem, he said, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. And Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cy for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. Commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, this is the second missionary uh, journey, second missions trip. Now, Let's just stop here and think for a moment. Do you think that Paul is thinking long-term or short-term in reference to not wanting John Mark to go with him? It's definitely not in his immediate plans, is it? But do you think he's thinking long-term? I mean, this is just a hypothetical, okay? So it, it, there's not a wrong answer here, by the way, if you want to say long-term, short This is not not a right or wrong answer. I'm just asking you, what do you think is in his mind and saying it's not wise for us to take him because he bailed out on us? <clears throat> so he might have been a little myth that he avoided the persecution. <laughs> well, for him, he might... <laughs> You know, he hadn't, he hadn't seen a lot when he left, so <laughs> and proved that he could endure the hardships. So you think he was actually looking out for John Mark? Okay. Anything else? <clears throat> Thinking long-term, short-term? Yeah. But, but Luke did choose to use the word deserted them. <laughs> so he might have been carrying a little bit of a, you know, I don't need a quitter on my team, you know. All right, let's stop right there, okay? We kind of got, maybe tried to look at it from Paul's perspective, all right? What was Barnabas thinking? Was Barnabas thinking short term or long term? he felt like, in fact, it just says he wanted to take John Mark with him. And that want must have been significantly strong, right? Because Paul said no, Barnabas said yes. Paul said no again, Barnabas said yes again. They could not negotiate. Either way, and at some point it got so, what's the word? Sharp. Their disagreement was so sharp that they couldn't even <coughs> launch the second missions trip together. 
And Barnabas basically said, well, I'm taking, I'm taking John Mark with me. And Paul said, all right, I'll, I'll choose Silas and he'll go with me. And from then on, Luke tracks what happens to Paul, doesn't he? Barnabas is hardly mentioned much after that. And John Mark is mentioned, I don't know if he's ever mentioned again in the book of Acts. So what was what motivated Barnabas? I know it's just speculation. Maybe he felt that John Mark was in Christ and not necessarily recovered from the rejection that he felt from Paul. And uh, just basically, instead of one team going out, they ended up two teams. Right. Now, the Holy Spirit had said that he wanted Barnabas and Paul <laughs> to go out in the mission field. And so, did both of them still have the blessing of the Holy Spirit? I think they did. I think, I think what happened is there was just a disagreement with personnel. It wasn't like, well, the Holy Spirit can't work unless we really have the two of us, you know, together at the same place at the same time. I think when you look at back, <clears throat> just that one statement, look at that one statement. This is all he said. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for where? Cyprus. A place of familiarity. I wish we had more. I wish we had more to this story. And I probably need more to this story because my mind can go absolutely in all kinds of directions as to what could be going on here. And I'll, show, and I'll share some of that with you in just a moment. Way out, not way out there, but isn't it interesting? Let me throw something out to you because do you think they're strategically planning what they're doing here? Do you think that, that they have... Well, the, uh, past the disagreement, when they decide to take each other, do you think they have strategized as to what they were going to do when they launched their missions trip? Does it make sense for Barnabas to take John Mark with him back to Cyprus? I think it makes absolute sense because one is a place of familiarity with Barnabas and John Mark. Somewhere in that is where whatever happened to John Mark that he wanted to come back home and he left him, I believe Barnabas was working to bring John Mark back into ministry. And Paul didn't want to mess with it. He didn't trust him. And he just didn't want to mess with it. Now, how could the Lord work through all of that? I think we're going to see how possibly this was not maybe in their plans, but God turned it around to put it into his plan. <coughs> Follow this with me just for a moment. If you're in um, 
the end of chapter 15 and the start of chapter 16. This is the second missions trip. When you see the start of that missions trip at the end of chapter 15, I'm just going to throw you a date out here. You can jot it down. It's probably around 53, 52 A.D. 52 or 53 A.D. When you look in the front of your Bible, if you've got a study Bible, and you say, and this is the man, John Mark is the one who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Okay? That's kind of important. He's one of the four guys who recorded the life and ministry of Jesus. Well, when did he do that? Obviously, it wasn't before all this was going on. It was afterwards. But the dating of Mark is somewhere between 60 and 70 A.D. So we are not very far when they launched a second missions trip. We have no record, there's no record of what Mark and, and Barnabas did on their missions trip. But we do know this, that they went. And they was doing ministry. And John Mark, Mark was not far away from pinning the account of the life and times of Jesus. When Paul and Silas set out north, right at the end of chapter 15, it says they, they uh, went into Syria and Cilicia. Let me, let me uh, put this up here on the screen for you, a slide, in case you don't have a Bible with the second. This is the only the second missionary journey that... Uh, you know, we, we have on the slide. The, the, the other three are not on here. Sometimes they'll put all three on there and you can't hardly make out what's what. But at Antioch, over here to the right, is where it says they went up north into uh, Syria and Cilicia. Okay, so they make this little turn, go through Tarsus, go over to Derby, and they visit these three cities where they were in the first missions trip. Derby, Lystra, and Iconium. They go up to Pisidian of Antioch. And then they head north. Now I'm going to get you to track this a little bit. In Acts 16, it reads like this. And Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Pergia and Galatia. Uh, this area where, where Antioch is, that's all Galatia. And above that is Bithynia. You see Bithynia. So right from Pisidian of Antioch is Galatia. That's, that whole area is called Galatia. They, um, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia, and this would be more to the right. So here they've got plans of where they're going, but the Holy Spirit is starting to adjust their plans. See, I, I believe that these men just didn't launch out and go to a town and say, well, we're not going to go to the next town until we hear from God. Because it seems like they had a plan to go due north or maybe even due east. And it said the Holy Spirit kept them from preaching the word in Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. Listen to this. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Their plan was to go on up into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow it. So they passed by Mysia 
and went over to Troas for the Aegean Sea. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia. Macedonia is across the Aegean Sea. Come over and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready and at once to leave from Macedonia, concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And we're talking about strategic planning for them, but how God interrupted their plans and adjusted their plans by two distinct blockages. He blocked them from going to Asia, and then he blocked them from going up into uh, Bithynia. In 18, verse 18 of Acts 18, Paul stayed... Well, you see he goes into Philippi, which this is, this is... Chapter 18 is such a great chapter. Philippi is where Lydia gets saved, and, and then they have the, they're arrested. You remember that? And the Philippian jailer and people get saved, so the church is birthed. They go down to Thessalonica and Berea, and they're, they're meeting oppositions right and left. And so as it goes on down, they go down and they end up at Athens. Athens. And some people think that Paul didn't have much success he had. He went on to the university campus at Athens, and people got saved. Hello. That's like going out to the University of Alabama and interacting with all the philosophy students. And some of them, some of them get saved. I'd call that a success story. <laughs> so he leaves Athens, goes over to Corinth, and a lot of time is being spent in Corinth. I'm going to take you to verse 18. It said, Paul stayed at Corinth for some time, then left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria. One point in this, it says that when Paul, he, I think Paul wanted to leave Corinth. I think he felt endangered. And let me take you back just a few verses earlier to let you know why I believe that. In Acts 18, 9, it says, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. He's in Corinth now. And, and Jesus comes to him and tells him, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do you think you might have been afraid? Yeah, well, why, why would Jesus tell him, Don't be afraid? <laughs> He's like, I don't like being here. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in the city. And watch verse 11. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God, the word of the Lord. And then later on it says he stayed in Corinth for some time before he left. Before he left to go. In fact, he went down to Sincrea, and they made a covenant, cut his hair, made a covenant there, sailed over to Ephesus, made a quick visit to the synagogue, and they wanted him to stay longer. He says, no, but i got to get back to Jerusalem. So he left there and sailed back to Syria, went down to Jerusalem, and then went back up to Antioch. This is near the end of chapter 18. But here's what I want to put before you. What about Barnabas and Mark? What about all the time this is going on? What about them? We don't know, but we do know that John Mark ended up writing the gospel of Mark, or 
one of the, in fact, many people believe it was the first written account of the life and ministry of Jesus. Why? <clears throat> what was almost every one of the books of the Bible where you look, it says, what prompted this? Well, I mentioned Irenaeus. Some of you remember Irenaeus from Sunday? Okay, Irenaeus wrote that Mark wrote the gospel, the account of Jesus' ministry in Rome with the influence and through the influence of both Paul and Peter. And most of them believe that he spent more time with Peter. So somewhere between the separation of Barnabas and Paul over this person named Mark, a sharp disagreement, God is still working in Mark's life, isn't he? God is still preparing Mark to contribute to the four accounts that we have of the life and ministry of Jesus. It's considered that he wrote this, Irenaeus said that he wrote it after, where was Paul executed at? Rome. Now, in 2 Timothy 4, 11, Paul is facing death, and he's already talked about it, right? And he says, Luke is the only one I have here with me. But send Mark, because he is helpful to me. So it makes sense that at some point, Mark arrived in Rome, and that's why Paul is considered to be martyred around 67 A.D. So maybe even before that, he got to have a conference with Paul. And he may have written it before just through the influence of Peter. But we do know this, that God wasn't finished with Mark, even though Paul was finished with him. <laughs> Paul was done. What does this tell you? about God working with people like us. And sometimes in spite of us. Because he knows that we're going to make decisions based sometimes on emotion or on our experience. You know, whether, we don't know whether this was like a, d- a disappointment to God that they couldn't come to an agreement on John Mark. We do know that two teams went out instead of one, and they doubled the ministry. 2 Timothy 4.11, only Luke is with me. Get Mark, bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in the ministry. So what is the point about all this? There is no way anyone cannot convince me that these mission trips were planned trips. Just like when you go to the mountains, you don't head toward northeast on I-59 wondering where you're going and where you're going to stay. Unless you're just not good at planning. And I'd have to admit that I was just under the persuasion on our wedding night that there would be a room in Montgomery, Alabama for us, and I didn't make reservations. There was no room in Montgomery, Alabama. So 
because George Wallace was just released from the Maryland hospital where he was shot during the presidential campaign in 1972. And every news reporter in the world, I think, was in Montgomery. So we had to go on further south to Troy. <laughs> Troy, Alabama. That's where you plan to spend your honeymoon is Troy, Alabama. <laughs> Actually, we were on our way to back to Florida so I could get back to work. We had to take really a honeymoon later, but we did spend our first night in Troy, Alabama. Viking Motor Lodge. <laughs> Was, wasn't that a wonderful wedding night gift to my wife. She was just more concerned about all the shoe polish that was written all over our car. You got to get that off. People are staring at us going down the road. But that's what happens when you don't plan, right? These things didn't happen to these people because they weren't planning. God had to step into their plans and change their plans. They were heading in one way, and God twice had to tell. And of all the team that he's talking to, he's talking to Paul. And Paul's got his plans, and, and twice the Lord stops him and says, that's not what I want you to do. I want you to go this way. So we need to lay out plans for the days ahead. We need to, we need to all of us probably in this room need a, a two, three-year plan, something, Right? You might not can plan for, you might not be excited about planning for five years, but most of us in this room are planning to live for five years. So if you're planning to live for five years and you can't live it but one day at a time, what's wrong with making some plans and setting some goals and saying in five years this is where I want to be personally? This is where I want to be financially. This is where I want to be spiritual. This is where I want to see the evidence of God working in my life. When I look back on those five years, I want to be able to see where God has worked in my life and used me for his kingdom. Or should we not plan at all? Absolutely not. That would be, all, that would be a lack of stewardship, wouldn't it? To have no plan? You have no plan? As a believer, you don't have a plan. We may be waiting for God to show us what to do when in reality he's already shown us what to do. Supposed to preach the word. Witness to people. Let our light shine. He said that, didn't he? Let your light shine among men that they may see God. And see how he's working in your life. And this is, this is what I see. I see God works through the, specific, the specifics of our plans. He works through the specifics of our plans, but he also works outside the specifics. Something you said in Sunday school is about going forward, that, that God can open doors as you go forward, but he's not going to open doors when you stand still. Something like that in Sunday school. Yeah. Yeah. It's easier to steer motion than having a lack of activity. We can be sitting and waiting. These guys weren't sitting and waiting. 
They weren't waiting for someone else to go. They were, they were going. They heard God tell them to go. And they went. And sometimes their plans got really changed up dramatically. But let's let, let's let that be what happens to us. That God changes our plans instead of us waiting for him to show us a plan. And, and I believe sometimes he waits for us to make the move, to make the step. And, and people who are waiting for him to do something to make you make the step, that's not faith. Faith is believing that I know there's certain things I need to be about. And if I take steps toward that, I know God is going to direct my steps according to his will. So maybe if somebody asks you in the next few days, what's your three-year plan? You might have something to give them. What's your three-year plan? Would you stand with me? And there's something else about inertia. You know, a thing like a car or a truck, once you get it going, it creates momentum. But you have to get it going. Inertia, you can't get it going. There has to be movement. And I want to pray over you that God would create new movement in your life. And that you will begin to move as an act of faith that God is going to direct your steps. But he's asking you to start. Start. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that we see people that are like,